ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined this evening on Offside Hockey Talk with Quinn Donovan of the PH, uh, PJHL Langley Trappers and Gideon Hill of the BC Hockey League Langley Rivermen. Gentlemen, how are you guys this evening? Doing great. Doing good, Jimmy. How are you? Good. Uh, so we'll just start off the show by uh, just talking some uh, hockey uh, in the BC. CHL and the PJHL. Um, so first question I have for both of you, we'll start off with Quinn first, is uh, how has hockey been in the last two weeks for the uh, Langley Trappers? It's been interesting. Um, we're part of cohort three. Um, basically, they took our entire league and divided it up into four, core, four, core, uh, four cohorts. Um, we're part of cohort three with uh, the Delta Ice Hawks and the uh, um, North Vancouver Wolfpack. Uh, the North Vancouver Wolfpack are the defending league champions uh, and also defending league finalists. Uh, Delta has stocked up on a lot of good talent. They're looking to make a run at the Cyclone Taylor uh, Cup this year, the provincial championship, uh, mainly because they're hosting it. Uh, so it's given them a chance to uh, get stocked up on talent because they want to they want to claim it at home, which is more than understandable. So uh, Langley is kind of uh, the, uh, the the third the third hand of the or the third spoke of the the uh, triangle there, and uh, we're holding our own right now. We're currently leading the uh, leading the division uh, by three points, uh, given we played uh, two more games than everybody else. But you know we're we're holding our own. Uh, everybody thought we were probably going to get run over but that's definitely not the case we're very we've got some serious talent this year and uh some serious rookies that are starting to come up and our veteran core has really performed very very well how's the uh, hockey been um on your uh on your side getting with the uh, excuse me langley riverman so i just did one game of the ribbon the preseason i'm the trapper's main guy and i'm not, not a backup, but uh, I did one game in preseason for the Ribbon, so I haven't seen a whole lot of them, uh, but mostly the Trappers is just echo Quinn's statement. Um, good start of the season. It's been a little bit different with COVID, and the one game I did in the BCHL was between the Ribbon and the Express two weeks ago. I um, was really impressed with the hockey in that one. I think the Ribbon have built a good team, a good young team as well. they got four or five recruits from Lower Mainland that uh, will challenge for spots. They're 16, 17, 18-year-old um, so the one game I've seen of the Ribbon as their play-by-play guy for one game, um, I'm really impressed by one guy named Cam Johnson. You'll probably hear him within the next couple of years. He's 16. Uh, he just committed to Harvard. He plays, I think, in the second line it is for Bobby Henderson's Ribbon, and he's an exceptional talent. He's good with the puck. He's a small forward. Um, so I was really impressed. One guy that stuck out to me, if I had to say, but like I said, you'll there's some good prospects coming out of the Ribbon team as well as uh, defense and Ryan Halliwell. So you'll see those guys coming through, but as for the Trappers, uh, as Quinn mentioned, a younger team. Um, this is a, a North fan team that we played in the, the finals two years ago. Um, they made it to the finals last year, had it canceled due to COVID. So unfortunately for them, they weren't able to make it uh, to the final or to win the finals again. And then Delta, always a formidable opponent. They always have a strong team. Missed the playoffs last year for the first time. I think it was four years. So they've, or five years. So they built a strong team again. And if the Cyclone Taylor Cup can and hopefully is able to go ahead um, due to COVID, then that'd be awesome. Delta will be the host, but they want to try and challenge to win that because that's such a great honor. So, And it's, it's interesting, the, the Cyclone Taylor Cup. I, I didn't know uh, I didn't know a cup uh, of that name existed, uh, Cyclone Taylor 
people listening, um, he played in the NHL a long, long time ago. I believe it was uh, right around the time that uh, hockey first started in the NHL or just uh, a little bit later. But um, that gentleman did play in the, in the NHL, so it's uh, kind of neat to see uh, a trophy named after uh, Cyclone Taylor. So uh, thanks for that, Gideon. So what I want to ask uh, you two gentlemen next is um, – I've heard in the last uh, couple weeks um, about WHL players uh, kind of um, falling into uh, junior A teams. I know the Humboldt Blancos have uh, a few um, a few a, a few WHL players, um, and we will get into the Connor Bedard um, situation uh, shortly. But I just wanted to get you guys' take on: um, Is it fair for junior A players? Uh, to lose spots to WHL players. I know um, there's a few um, in the BC uh, part of the WHL and the uh, WHL in Saskatchewan and Manitoba um, falling into place in the uh, Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League and the B League. So we'll start with you, um, Mr. Hill. Just uh, give me your take on um, what you think about those players playing A and B um, and and possibly taking spots from uh, junior A guys and them having maybe to go to B to find ice time? Well, that's a good a good question, Jamie. I think it's been a hot topic of discussion over the last, um, you know, a couple of weeks here in the Lower Mainland since it's been uh, announced, as well throughout the junior A circuit in, uh, in Western Canada here. So with the uh, BCHL, SJHL, MJHL, and AJHL. So, I don't think it's a matter of players taking spots as of right now. They're, guys are only there until December 20th. And right now in the BCHL, anyways, it's pay to play. So if guy, WHL guys are coming down to the BCHL, they would have to pay to play in the league. So there is a money discussion going on about how much should the guys pay. And as well, you are playing, you might not take spots away from guys that have, you know, already committed, but it's, it is a tough discussion because you want to have these WHL guys who are paying to play in the BCHL get ice time. So I've seen some guys, I know Cole Fonstad from the Everett Silvertips, who's a Montreal Canadiens draft pick, just signed with Estevan, who has a couple of uh, players who were with the North Van Wolfpack last year. So I don't know what that's going to look like for the Wolfpack guys if they come back here to the lower mainland. Um, but just those kind of things, like, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's a fight for ice time for sure. Um, but I think the way that they're structured is they want to have these WHL guys getting ice time to be fresh for January 8th and for start of the regular season, December 20th, which I believe is training him. So you want to have these guys fresh, but you also don't want to take away spots for uh, the BCHL slash junior A guys. So it is a, a hot topic of discussion, Jamie, and I think it could go either way. But right now I think the guys are more worried about getting in, getting in shape rather than taking other players' spots and more playing as a team and being able to play hockey again because they haven't been able to uh, since February. So, What's your take on this, Gwen? <clears throat> Excuse me, Gwen. Uh to be honest, like when I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be like the boulder dropped in the pond where everything was going to like ripple out. Um, but Gideon makes an excellent point. I mean, pay to play is one of those big issues. And, you know, when you've spent your entire life on the gravy train and in the dub is kind of that way. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, when you spent your entire life on the gravy train, working your way up to major junior hockey, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go play junior A and you're being hit with like three, four thousand dollars, you know, a month to to keep your membership active. Uh, that is very prohibitive for a lot of people, for a lot of players. A lot of players would just be like, well, I could grab like 
five or six beer league games and keep myself in shape that way and spend the rest of the time in the gym, you know, or power skating or, you know, doing whatever and, and working through, you know, my team's physical fitness plan, which ultimately would probably cost me nothing uh, as opposed to paying $4,000 a month to play junior A and then just, you know, going back to major junior once everything's ready to go. So uh, there is, I mean, there is that 50-50 there. You know, you're going to have a lot of players who are going to be like, yeah, let me go ahead and I'll do that because I like the idea of the competition. Uh, whereas you're going to have a lot of players that are going to be like, no, I'm just going to wait for the season to, to show up and I'll spend the rest of the time in the gym getting ready, you know, and, and you know, hey, more power to each to each side, you know, to be honest. But um, as I said, it's not like it's not like it was originally explained, you know, or, or originally pictured by a lot of people. Uh, as Gideon mentioned, the, as I said, the pay to play is 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 being like, whoa, okay, there's a little bit of a roadblock here. So yeah, you're not going to see a, a player such as a, um, a Bowen Byram deciding he's going to suddenly drop down to junior A just for the sake of a few games and then come back up. You know, it's going to be like, look, you know, I'll just go spend the rest of the time in the gym and I'll keep in touch with Colorado and work on whatever fitness plan they have for me in the meantime. You know, get ready for training camp. You guys have. Add, sorry, oh. Quinn. Go ahead. So one second, Jamie. I just want to add to Quinn's point. So, yeah, you're right. Like, there has been – you don't see big names like Bowen Byron, but there has been a lot of guys like Gianni Fairbrother, who's a Canadian draft pick, and Cole Fonside, who are going to the BCHL. And there's also been depth guys that have been trying to get minutes. So it is an interesting spectrum to see guys like Cole Fonside and Gianni Fairbrother, who are very uh, very good prospects for the NHL, and then have guys – I believe his name is Luke Bateman, who's now with Thunderbirds, now in the BCHL with – I think it's Vernon. So – it's, it's an interesting spectrum to see, and I, I think it's really cool that they have these guys staying fit, and who knows how much of a difference it's going to make for WHL. Maybe these guys will come out flying at the gate. Maybe they'll be a couple steps behind. So it's nice to see these guys getting minutes, but uh, we'll see how it is for the regular season. Jamie. And the Rod Peterson show, who I've, I've been able to follow since COVID, and uh, they've had some uh, great guests, uh, Rich Sutter, to name one guest that I follow a lot. And once I found out he was on the show, I, I had to follow. And um, the other day, they, Rod Peterson had uh, the GM of the Moose Jaw Warriors, and uh, and he's had the uh, SJHL commissioner. He's had the BCHL commissioner. Uh, uh, every commissioner you can imagine, and, and every league from Victoria to St. John's. And, uh, you know, it's it's a province thing. Each province is different, the, the health care. And, um I, I walk into the rink. I've been uh, able to go to the rink uh, in the last month. Um, um, for both of you, I'm I'm part of media and uh, equipment uh, slash trainer. I, I do about five, six different things, and uh, <laughs> um, that's just what happens at a voluntary position. Um, but um, walking into the rink, um, and I. Well, lad, I, I, I got the privilege to talk to Alan Corkum uh, a few weeks ago, and what a privilege that was to uh, to have the OJHL, uh, Georgetown Raiders, and every other team, and the CCHL team all covered. And uh, I I walked into that rink, and I was very uh, it's very sombering. Like I just all my buddies that I've connected with, and I've gotten to connect with some uh, cool people. Uh, as Quinn knows, there was a there was a a Zoom call there that started a couple months ago, and um, not for them to be in the rink. I uh, just felt I didn't feel like I should have been there myself. So it's been a very uh, uh, tough time, but 
everyone's gradually getting back into the rink and that's good to see. And uh, um, even though our numbers are kind of slowly going back up here in Nova Scotia, uh, we kind of just take it all, uh, take it all in. And uh, if uh, given the uh, privilege to play each and every night, then we do the best job possible. So that's what um, I've been doing. And um, I wanted to get into how BC has been coping with COVID. Um, how are you guys find the rules? And uh, we'll start off with Quinn first and just uh, how's the, uh, how's the entrance? Like, how do you enter the rink? How, just to give uh, people that are listening in BC and, and across Canada, just how, uh, how the feeling is for both of you guys when, uh, when COVID uh, is still ongoing. Well, truth be told, um, when it comes to entering the rink, I, I usually go to the bar and steakhouse, which they now put on to our rink, uh, at the cost of 2.5 million, I think it was, or somewhere close to that. Uh, the Henderson family has been really good with the redesign of our rink. They've really done an amazing job. Uh, and uh, they just put in the Horse and Rider Pub, which is an amazing place, overlooks the, the curling sheet, um, but they do show our games there. Uh, for those that wish to come check that out, uh, Gideon is our play-by-play -play guy, so he broadcasts via hockey TV. Um, so usually I wind up, you know, I'll, I'll have something eat and get sort of mentally prepared, and then I'll go into the rink, um, at which point then I'll head to our booth. Uh, Gideon is on the right side of me, plexiglass in between us. Um, so he's got his own, he's got his own door and his own opening. Social distance, everything. Yeah. Have, uh, the Moose yeah, exactly. Logan Delaney and, and Kevin Northup, um, just to give, give you both a, a perspective, uh, if you follow offside hockey, Kevin Northup is with Eastlink. You guys would have, it'd be like Delta TV up there. It's the same for, it's, you know, East Link Delta TV. It's a little tiny TV corporation, but um, yeah, my colleague Steve Erickson works for them. Legendary, yeah. legendary. So Delta just give you an example. Delta TV East Link is the same thing. They don't yeah. have the they don't have the plexiglass. Um, there is a there is a social distancing <clears throat> measure. Excuse me, measure in place, but there's no plexiglass. So it just pr proves that every province, every league, and I won't get into how the queue's doing right now. It's just uh, northern New Brunswick is a uh, is a very it's a hot spot. So, um, sorry if I did interrupt what you were saying, Quinn. But I just wanted to add that uh, each province is kind of uh, putting things in the different perspective, I guess. It really is. I mean, it, like when we first were were starting back up. Uh, a lot of us had to take on a different role. Like I actually actually had to run the clock while also doing PA and stuff like that. Uh, first time I've ever run the clock. I'm amazed that the refs didn't kick me out after the first period. Had, to be honest. We had a guy do it Monday um, night. One guy, one guy Monday night. Yeah. Press the play on the O Canada. Press the clock button. Press the music button. Um, exactly. That. <laughs> seven minutes later, it's a three-three hockey game. He's still announcing the first goal. Because yeah. he's the only, he's the only yeah. one. He's the only one guy. And yeah, exactly right. And I mean, I'm used to. And if you've seen it, and if you know, I'm used to having my big book of hockey. So I've got my giant binder where I write down all of the rosters by hand. And it's like it's become almost superstition for me because it's like if I don't do it right, I don't have a good game. Um, so but you have it, time to do it that accurate because you're the only exactly player. right. It's, yeah, it's, exactly it's, right. It's 22, but it's uh, and I'm. I don't want to forget this question, but we'll continue with this one. Um, the numbers that are actually allowed on the bench compared to the seating, it's 
we just we just were granted uh, I believe a hundred fans, or it's now a higher percentage. Like the Mooseheads will stay. Uh, Metro Center holds about twelve thousand, so that's about nineteen hundred people. Um, and then they leave a hundred seats or so just for scouts and randoms that that show up two hours before game time. Um, I've I've seen the the Rivermen and the Trappers Arena. Uh, they they share the same arena. Very nice facility. I believe it's only seating on one side of the ring. How is the two sides? Two oh, sides. Two, oh, two yeah, sides. Okay. Yeah, so how sides, is the yeah. atmosphere? Like how is like um, is there allowed? Because for example, uh, the Cole Harbor Colts Junior B team, um, each rink's different. There is two coaches on the bench. We get one one coach up in the stands. And then we have a trainer. Uh, we have two trainers, but he's more of the medical guy. Like if a guy busts his shoulder, then he's the guy. So he's important. So he's on the bench. How is it for you guys? Like uh, you just said, one guy in the announcing booth, and then how many coaches on the bench to like 18 players or 20 players plus two coaches? Like just give us an understanding of like how, how the setup is for you guys. Hey, Gideon, you want to jump on this one? Sure. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You go ahead, Kitty. Yeah. So, okay. Well, to follow up to, to Quinn as well. Uh, so that partition they installed so, to keep us separate because we always got in fist fights and whatnot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that plexiglass was you got, pre-installed. You got tired of Quinn talking about political debates. Yeah. So that, the plexiglass was installed previously, which would help for a good sound barrier to keep uh, Quinn and chirping at uh, – Official. whoever fans officials very, what have you bi- you're not uh, supposed to be biased but <laughs> just anyways yeah so that was installed previously but it has helped for covid because it's been a good uh uh difference you know between us and uh to have that safety of you know the plexiglass even though we're six feet apart it's nice to have that little sheet there just to make it feel like a, a sense of security um and as well so it's uh the trappers i think it's 50 so 50 in a building right now uh league-wide which is is very tight. Yeah, I know the reaction, Jamie. It's it's wow. pretty tight. So there's a, a good job by Thomas Koshman, our assistant coach and GM, uh, every game to make sure we are under that threshold. Um, usually the home team depends on what. So it's what the home team wants. So they could have 27 staff and players, and the other team would have to only allow 23 for the numbers, right? So usually we have two coaches on the bench. This is what we're going to go. So two coaches on the bench this season one trainer and then 18 players. So the 12 forwards, 60, two goalies, we weren't even allowed to have a backup goalie at the beginning. And then they kind of moseyed their way in to be able to have a backup goalie because to me having to call a guy from home, whether he be down the road or in Surrey from Langley, um, that's just crazy to me. If a guy goes down injured, you have no goalie you have to suit up a player. Um, and then, yeah, then you have the scorekeepers. So right now we have two scorekeepers and then me and Quinn. Uh, that's, and then that's a luxury to have two. Yeah, seen, yeah. I have only seen one the last four yeah. weeks of well, one score she once regular season or two games yeah. regular season, four exhibitions. I've only seen yeah. one. They and they've hired just the one guy. Oh um, wow! Each, each game's on a different night. Um, we have our own guy, but the three teams have one guy. So it's like they call up yourself or Quinn, and you're covering one night. You're covering Langley, and then yeah. you're driving to New West, or you're driving to. Doing Quicklim, where you're doing a bunch of games just to have that one guy, um, yeah. to keep keep the the pay, to keep the uh, payroll down in a in a very tight league. Um, and the Nova Scotia Junior Hockey League actually waived all of the league fees. Like it's basically <laughs> you pay for your ice time, um, and you pay the refs and and uh, play on. So they're just trying to keep <laughs> the cost down, and that's what they're doing. So yeah, I mean Gideon can tell you this. You know, like last night. 
we got Ray Goldney, who's one of our like volunteers going back Lovely. to the yep. early, early days uh, of the Langley franchise. Like we're talking, you know, the Thunder, the Hornets, like he's worked his way up. Thunder, Hornets, Rivermen, and he's covering the Trappers as well. He's one of our most loyal volunteers, nicest guy in the world. And last night was his first game back. And like Gideon can tell you, I damn near cried because I was like, you know, like wow, because, I haven't seen you like nine months. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> he like, doesn't get that, that emotional. <laughs> that was my reaction, where it was just like, you know, and that's the same way when I'm at when I'm professional work, where it's like, you know, we went through a series of layoffs and getting my coworkers back, and it was just like, you know, you you feel like okay some semblance of normal is coming back to the ring and you know it's going to take a while i mean you know the vaccine you know and you know to all of our frontline workers to everybody that's fighting the good fight keep fighting it thank you and thank you for everything you're doing but it's going to take a while for everything to get back to normal so when you see those little things those little milestones where it's like you see one volunteer and then you see five Mm -hmm. volunteers and then you see your full squad again you know and and you know, like you see the fans back, you know, those are the things that we look forward to, you know, uh, in our, in our business, because, you know, when we're doing what we do, you know, when Gideon's doing his play by player, I'm doing PA, you know, we do it because we realize we're the narrators of the game, that the players are the ones that tell the story. We're the narrators and stewards of the game, stewards of the game. But it's tough when you don't have anybody to do that for. <laughs> That's the biggest yeah. thing. So, yeah. Quinn, if you cried when Ray was back, you didn't cry when I came back. That's weird. It's an interesting dynamic. Anyways, we'll have to get into that later. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? I totally <laughs> cried when you came back. It, 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 it was terrible. I, uh, unfortunately, I lost two. Um, I also work with the St. Mary's Huskies, so they're 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 uh, they're in the same um, echelon as the UBC Thunder and the Saskatchewan Huskies and. Um, I think me and Donovan, we're kind of going off topic, but I talked to Donovan on, on an earlier Zoom call, um, talked about the UBC Thunderbirds knocking off the Alberta Golden Bears. Uh, that was huge, we, yeah. We may, we may talk about that later, but uh, um, so I'm with the St. Mary's Huskies, and we lost two members um, of that rink staff over the last eight months. And wow. so um, it couldn't really it, it was tough because like at that eight month period like you said you got emo the, the guy that you spoke about got emotional and it's just you know you never seen a guy in nine months it's not like when hockey is over two weeks later just once it's all settled you call the guy up to tim hortons and you can hang out it's yeah COVID, it, yeah it's just COVID, you're not able to see all your rink buddies and, and they're not just guys you see at the rink they're guys that you want to see every day or every other day and 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 that was tough, and uh, you know it's it's the way it is. Like it's unfortunate, but um, like I said earlier, I, I walked into that rink for the very first time. It was just like I was Bambi. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't fall on the ice. I don't have to. I don't Thank have goodness. To, I don't have to walk across the ice. I don't, I got a, a side door. Like the the room is this, our dressing room door uh, is actually attached to the bench, so just kind of a short kind of hallway onto the bench so I don't have to actually walk across the ice so I didn't have to do that and probably would have fell because I haven't been on the ice in eight months but which sneakers on but then we wouldn't have been able to do the zoom call Jamie so then that just whole yeah, that one <laughs> it, yeah I would have been in I would have been the I would have been in the QE2 and it was yeah and probably would be paying eight dollars a minute for internet so yeah 
<laughs> I, I think we, we might have went off off track a little bit, but I um, wanted to get into the, the Connor Bedard story. I believe that's his name. Uh, yes. The 15 year old phenom that's been uh, that's been given a lot of praise in the last uh, month or so. Um, and we'll talk about World Juniors if that's going to start or not. That's been a hot topic. But what? Um, we'll start with you, Quinn. What's your take on the Connor Bedard? Do you think he deserves to be um, in the WHL at, at the age of 15? I think he does. I mean, at this point, you know, we've seen the generational talent tag being used for players like Sidney Crosby, players like Connor McDavid. Um, you know, it's it's become almost second nature. You know. And, like, I mean, there's been this consistent history since Gretzky, you know, and since Lemieux. Every agent in the world, every scout in the world is everybody, and I've said this to Gideon regarding the cohort cut, all of these scouts are looking for the next Connor McDavid, you know. So when they find a player like a Connor Bedard um, or an Alexis Lafreniere, uh, they, they want to do everything they can to get this player to the very top level to see where they're going to compete. You know, it's, it's like almost that you're, you're like a really great swimmer, like you're Michael Phelps. And it's like, okay, well, it's really great that you're great at Olympic swimming. Let me throw you in a shark tank and see how things go, right? Because the WHL is exactly that. It is a shark tank. It will it's test a big, you. It's a bigger league. It's very fast. Um, I, I haven't watched the kid. I've, I've got in the last three weeks of, since I've heard of this gentleman's name, I haven't been able to follow him, but um, I, I can't imagine, like, we, you know, just look at Sheldon, imagine if Sheldon Surrey or Wade Brookbank or Sheldon Brookbank or those big guys played in the league, um, what impact they would have on um, on uh, that game if Bedard was in that game, so it's... Uh, the biggest knock against Bedard, though, and I'm looking at his stats here, He's 5'9 and 165, right? And you can say what you want. Yeah, he's, he's 15 years old, and there's going to be a few growth spurts there. But he's he's going to really need to put in some serious time in the weights to be able to hang at the WHL level. And sure, you're probably going to get a, a player that's probably a fourth liner to protect him for the most part. And that's that's the way the dub has always been. It's the tough, it is the toughest of the big three major junior leagues for a reason. You know, I mean, they crank up the hitting, you know, there's consistent fights, you know, and, and say what you want. Yeah, they're trying to get her out of the you, game. You but... guys can actually hit, not like the OHL, which we'll talk about soon. But that's, that's... <laughs> or the Q. Like can't... I said, at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of hot topics. And these <laughs> topics will never have been imaginable for pre during any, any other year if COVID wasn't on the go. So, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a, I'm having a bit of audio trouble there. Uh, it's one moment. Still, though, this kid ain't bad. You know, North Vancouver, North Shore Winter Club. He's in, Sweden. He's in Sweden right now. I was going to ask, too. Uh, what, he was on the Rod Peterson show, and he's in Sweden. And... Uh, What's going to happen when he comes back to uh, whichever WHL takes him and then he has to isolate? So what happens after that two-week period? Like, how will he be effective in the two-week uh, quarantine? So he, uh, 
I'll, yeah, I'll jump in, Quinn, I guess, unless you had right, anything yeah. to add. All Quinn? good, man. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he came from the uh, West Van Academy. Um, he was drafted by Regina first overall. Um, he's the second player in the last two years in the CHL to get exceptional status. There's a guy from Kingston by the name of Shane Wright, who is uh, 15, I believe he's 60 now, just named captain. So as Quinn mentioned, we've seen quite a, a river flow of uh, these young kids that have uh, granted exceptional status, which is the, uh, the, the Gretzky rule, I guess you could say, with guys who are able to play in the dub at 15, 16, 15-year-olds, that is, so. Uh, Bedard was drafted first overall. He's in Sweden. It's like what Austin Matthews did in his draft year, although Bedard's still three years away, but he went over to Zurich to play in Switzerland where Joe Thornton is now um, to go play and get some ice time when at the time it was his draft year, but Bedard obviously just trying to get some ice before because if he wants to play in a league that like the WHL's could mention, a very physical league, very fast-paced, skilled league, um, you're going to have to play with men over in, in Sweden. So I believe he's playing in the either U19s or U20s. So, um, it's a it's junior a, level. Hockey. Yeah. So it's, I think Nils Hoglander, the Canucks prospect is playing that league as well. If I'm not mistaken, but that system over there is, is, you know, isn't easy either. It's, it's like the dub where you're playing against guys older than you. It's a lot physical as well, with the bigger ice surface. So it is an adjustment, but he should have to quarantine when he comes back. And then after that two week, uh, period, professional period, he'll be able to play, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, he's a younger or smaller guy, younger as well as Quinn mentioned. And on Regina, a team three years ago, who was in the Memorial cup and really built up for that Memorial cup. They're kind of feeling the effects of it now with uh, guys leaving and being traded away. So it'll be interesting to see how he affects that roster. If he makes an impact right away, you never know. We saw when uh, Tyler Benson started with the giants, he was a, a young player. I uh, came in he was drafted by the Giants. He played the 16 year old year and he struggled with injuries. So it's a matter of staying healthy and sustaining a good uh, ability to get points and maintain, you know, strong physical play as well in that tough league. As Quinn mentioned the Vancouver Giants to just add to what you were saying, Mem Cup champions when Milan Lucic played yes, in Vancouver. 2007. The yep. Vancouver Giants, you mentioned Giants. I was just yep. going to add that yep. it was the Vancouver Giants. I believe they won in 2007. Yep. The men, the men yeah. Cup, and that's when they had Milan Lucic. So. Yes, that was a very stacked team. Not a lot of the guys left from that team in the, in the NHL, but Lucic is the one lasting name that you can really, and Jonathan Blum as well, that you can really you really remember from that team as well. That was a, that was a special team. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was Evander Kane's 16-year-old year. I I'm pretty he sure he was, Amanda. yeah. Yeah, he was. I think he was a fourth line guy on that team, yeah. obviously, because it was 16 year old year. But yeah, that was a special team. It's nice to see them hosted as well. So, yeah. And I mean, they were stacked that year, like straight up. <laughs> they, they were built to win that thing. Like, yeah, they were. Up. Yeah, they had some good teams, good players. What are both of your takes on um, when the WHL does, does re- what's both of your takes on when the WHL does return? And. The Portland Winterhawks, uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds, the teams that are in the States, how will they cope with the border? Um, what happens if they get COVID and then they're in like a play the, they play Saskatoon Blades? How do you think that will all kind of uh, turn out? If uh, Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is that, that right now we're the border situation, and, and I speak from a personal standpoint because my fiance and my son are both American. Yeah. Um, Right now, the border situation is completely unknown, and trust me, it sucks, but that's life. Um, so we're not sure what the Dubs' plan is for those teams south of the border, whether they're going to be playing each other or whether they're, you know, they're going to be looking to. Not to mention, you've also got a lot of players that are American-born 
um, who are who are currently on Canadian major junior rosters. Um, so that's going to figure in as well. So that's going to free up some spots that are, you know, where you're going to be having, you know, major junior teams scouring junior A for players just to fill the roster um, in order to, to compete for the season. Uh, so as to how that's going to work, and, and the OHL and the Q is in the same situation as well. OHL more than the Q because the OHL has the Saginaw spirit and the uh, Exactly. Right. And I, I mean, we had spoken with Ryan Burgess, um, who uh, handles the, the Buffalo uh, major junior team, if I'm not mistaken. I yeah, think the, they were. The, he's, in, he's in the uh, Ontario Hockey League, the Buffalo Junior Sabres. Yeah. And then there's a junior A team in the Buffalo area, um, does some Buffalo Buttes uh, female hockey as well. And he's uh, a great person to ask for insight in the, from the Buffalo area. And um, as you know, Quinn, we have a, a friend of ours in the San Diego area with the AHL. So we do. We've, we've, we've got a lot of leagues covered, which is, which is great. And uh, every league's been different. And who knows when the AHL will start? We don't really have to get into that kind of uh, – Actually, I got an email well, on that. Unless, AHL, unless you want to add yeah. something to that. AHL AHL right now, AHL right now, I got an email from them fairly recently because I'm part of their – fan circle and uh they said they were starting in february um as to how that's going to look i have no idea at the moment so. which makes sense because if the, if the nhl starts in january um it gives those ahl guys on two ways kind of some nhl ice um in exhibition and then they can get dropped down to the ahl um i had a good friend of mine on last week uh who just got signed by the worcester uh I forget the name, the team name, but it's in the East Coast Hockey League. The Worcester uh, Sharks. No, uh, they're in the A. They're the AHL Worcester Sharks. Worcester something or other in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, let me bring it up here. Uh, Westchester Express. No, that can't be right. Hold on. Uh, no, that's not it. Worcester. Yeah, W O R C E S T E. Oh, Worcester. Okay. Yeah. Worcester. Worcester. Yeah, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, Quinn. Also, um, the dub. So, and I guess Jamie as well. The dub. The U.S. teams are going to play each other, and then the Canadian BC teams are going to play each other. Alberta teams play each other, and then Sask player teams will play each other as well to start the season. So okay. it'll be like a cohort of American teams, BC teams, uh, Alberta teams, Saskatchewan. Oh, that Manitoba totally makes football. sense. Yeah, so, uh, the team. The team name is the Wooster Railers of the ECHL. That's the. Uh, Nice logo, really nice logo, truth be told. Uh, you know. uh, but yes, the uh, Worcester the, the, the Railers. Nail, the Nailers. <laughs> it's the Nailers. I just thought of it. I just thought of it. The Nailers. Uh, it's well, it's the, the Railers, actually. So it's uh, train. Oh, the Railers. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Railers, yeah. Right, jeez. Yeah, as, as if that's any better, to be friend. honest. I know what I'm Matthew's best friend. I don't even know what hockey team he plays on. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. So it's it's quite the it's quite the mix up right now where, where teams are in the states and teams are in Canada. The the whole border issue and all that good stuff. So it's it's we we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, we'll kind of have to wait and see when um, when the WHL starts and when when all the other uh, leagues uh, finally get going. I know in the queue. Uh, St. John, Moncton, and those teams had a bit of a bit of an issue playing K 
Hamilton, New Brunswick, Northern New Brunswick. Um, they're not even playing right now because uh, Northern New Brunswick's um, in the red zone as far as uh, as far as COVID. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy time. But uh, one couple more things I wanted to get your guys' take, and Gideon can start start us off. What's your take on the World Juniors? It was a question that was asked this week. Um, do you think that it actually it goes off as planned? Um, will there be any hiccups? Um, the NHL, it worked in the NHL bubble in Edmonton. Um, they'll be using the same facility as uh, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs was held in. Um, so what's your take on uh, the World Juniors and um, – for example, if guys in the WHL, OHL, or uh, Quebec Major Junior, um, if say if the league stops or you know if their team's not allowed to play um, because of COVID case, and we're seeing a lot of it in the NFL right now, so that's an example we could use. Um, so if say a team's not playing, um, will you see more guys that are are not playing, like say uh, um, Byfield uh, who got drafted by LA or uh, they're talking about this team as the possible uh, resemblance of 2005 when um, they had a super team. Um, and you'll see guys maybe that are with NHL teams getting dropped down to play World Juniors. Um, I actually don't think 100% that you'll see Lafreniere play um, where that where that Juniors starts on Christmas Day, um, the 26th, I believe, when Canada starts. Um, that's very short. A very short period when the New York Rangers will start their uh, training camp in January. So I won't. I don't suspect uh, Bob McKenzie, Greg Button, those those guys that are uh, reliable sources have mentioned that you won't see Lafreniere. But um, will will the juniors go off as planned? Do you see any problems that may occur? Um, and you probably agree with me, both Quinn and yourself, Gideon, that uh, we won't see Alexei Afrenier play in that tournament. Yeah, so a couple different facets to uh, to dissect there, Jamie. So the the thing I've said from the beginning of this hockey and you know in low mainland with U twenties the BCHL major junior getting started is it's really up to the players how much success how much how well this return to play goes it's what the players do in their personal time that is really is a difference if they grow out they I'm not saying they do but some of them go out and see people and maybe go and party and then they come back to the team and teams get infected uh, with COVID which, you know, hopefully doesn't, but you never know, right? Like it just depends. It's up to the players in this sense. Uh, you want them to be responsible, which I know those guys in those leagues are. Um, you're seeing right now with the Quebec, the QMJHL, that there's not having, they're not having much success. But again, that's just the early part of the season. I think they're still getting some, they're the first league of the three in the CHL to start. So I think there's going to be some growing pains there. Um, I do see it being a super team. However, I don't see Lafreniere playing because Alexi Lafreniere, that'll be when the training camp started, as you mentioned, Jamie. So it'll be pretty much in the midst of that. New York has said they want to have him in training camp to get a good look at him uh, because, you know, he's dra- just got drafted. He wants to play in the NHL. I'm sure the Rangers want him in the NHL. They don't want to have him get injured in the World Juniors and waste his first NHL season because they could burn his entry-level contract. So there's a lot of different facets to look at. Um, but I do think the World Juniors are work because, A, the bubble worked in Edmonton um, and with flying success. Um, B, they put a good enough roster together that it would ashamed, be a shame to go to waste. 
uh, and see your other question about the um, what if teams aren't playing. So if there's a guy, the reason they have such a big roster for Team Canada is so they can have different guys to draw from if a player has to quarantine or gets injured. That's why I have the one of the biggest rosters pre, you know, tournament rosters ever assembled is so they can draw from different guys from different leagues. Say Bear, the Barry Colts, for example, uh, have a COVID case. They have to quarantine for two weeks. Then the Hockey Canada pulls another guy from another team, say Sudbury, for example, to replace that guy from Barry temporarily or for the tournament. And they get a good look at him. So that's why I have different guys in camp. But the whole point of this camp early on and before the tournament is so that these guys have a chance to quarantine together. They're together and there's no pre-existing you know, COVID cases coming in, there's no symptoms. So they all quarantine together and then they go and do tournament and exhibition play. That's the hope. Um, whereas they won't have guys puck from teams and then playing in the weekend for the World Juniors. They won't have that, you know, probational period where they play the game with their team. They come to Edmonton or wherever the camp is. I think it's in Calgary. But either way, they have them come to the game, to this facility, and then, uh, um, oh. And then, and then play. So it'll be interesting, but I think it'll work, Jimmy. I'm not sure. Where, I'm not sure where Quinn just. He'll be back. I'm sure. <laughs> He's not wanting to get up and go, so something must be up. But he'll be back. But yeah, to, to answer your question, I, I I hope it does work because it's the most exciting time of the year. And without NHL play, um, that'll be you know obviously MLB is over, NBA is over, so that'll really be a interesting time. A time where a lot of focus will be on the World Juniors because that's the next talent you guys. I know Kirby Doc from the Blackhawks just sent down to play, or not sent down, but he was released to play in that tournament. So you have a lot more eyes than any, you know, other tournament because normally there's other sports on that time of year, but you know, it's, there's going to be the only hockey that time will be the only hockey on in the span of the grand scheme of things with no NHL at that point uh, of December. I don't expect anybody within the bubble to get the virus. I just thought maybe, um, outside yeah day, days leading up to you know travel or you know the guys could be wherever um and then maybe a big name like byfield uh i uh was gonna ask if one of you did hear about kirby doc uh saskatchewan native uh being drafted to the hawks and um wasn't sure i'm a hawks fan so i wasn't sure if he actually got released to play and uh as, as we talk about the new york rangers do we see um, the Finnish team uh, being a super team with uh, Kako Kapo or however you pronounce his name, uh, <laughs> him being at it, right? Just talking about the Rangers there for a second. Um, do we see Kapo playing? And, uh, you know, I heard, I did hear Finnish, the Finnish team is going to be a bit stronger. And uh, that is Canada's first uh, first uh, matchup, I believe. So we, we may have an episode before that World Juniors kind of. Uh, tee it up for offside and get our views and insights on uh, the world juniors even though uh, we've heard enough about it from craig button and and uh, all the other uh, all the other uh, people involved and it's good to see bob mckenzie's back uh, came out of retirement to uh, cover this world junior so it's good to see bob mckenzie um we we finished up the conversation there quinn before you left um sorry about that i had an amazon package that apparently what you get What'd you get? It's, it's my fiance's hair treatment because you know my... uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's eh, not for you, Quinn. <laughs> yeah, definitely not for me. I'm sure I'm sure Pierre McGuire had the same problem. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Uh, but, but following up on Gideon's point, yeah, I mean I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the invitees. Um Lefrenier's not even on the list of invitees. So I mean at this point, 
Hockey Canada has basically said, look, the Rangers are going to keep this kid. He's the number one overall pick. There's no reason why they shouldn't keep him. And in all fairness, like, if he gets injured at the junior level, the Rangers are going to be angry. You can't have that. We got, he got injured last year in World Juniors. That's true. I can't. I can't argue that. And he did. He did come back though. He did play fairly yeah. well in those later games. But I mean, 40, 46 players they're inviting. There are quite a number of uh, names on there. Uh, Byron being one of them. Uh, Alex Newhook. Um, you know, uh, looking at Kirby Doc is another one. Um, so I mean, there are there are quite a number of names there that are going to, you know, uh, tantalize the the fans of, of Canadian hockey. Um, so, I mean, in all fairness, Lafreniere is, is, to be honest, he's really not needed. Um, at this point, it's like, you know, you're a pro, you're on to your next chapter, you know, basically. Um, so I, I don't see there being any kind of situation where it's like my Canada includes Messier, like back in the 98 Olympic team where it was like, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll take Rob Zaminer and we'll leave Mark Messier off the team. Much as I have a lot to say about Mark Messier, I won't get into it. Thank I'm, goodness. <laughs> there you go. We, we right? could, we could was, talk about that any Wednesday. He, he, was <laughs> called the, he was called the Moose for a reason. Oh, I have no doubt. He's called a lot of different things in Van. All, all right. And we know we know how we know how Moose brought a lot. I'm me yeah. being from Newfoundland, I and I've worked up in Northern Brunswick, uh, seen a lot of Moose, so I know how they trot around. So. Uh, I am still wondering to this day why Mark Messier's nickname is called the, Mo- the Moose. So, anyways, I, I think it's something to do with his day, giant so. head, to be honest. Because out out this out in West Coast, it's we call true. him He Who Shall Not Be Named, uh, or short form. Oh, for the mess, yeah, no, it's come, uh, you're just refresh my memory, good sir. Uh, Mark Messier was a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. No, here we yes, go. Yes, we oh, call boy. it the Dark Ages. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, from oh, about. Boy. I'm just gonna I'm gonna text James right now and say, can we put pregame talk on for tomorrow? Because we're gonna this is getting serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we won't we won't get into it. Messier is an entirely different show. For entire... We need a whole hour for him. That's for sure. Exactly, I can agree. Well. With that. Before you hopped on, we were going to talk about uh, oh darn, uh, Jacob Markstrom, which I, <laughs> I want to give you both of your views because um, I don't know if you joined in Eddie Lack, who used to be a Vancouver Canuck, was on the Rod Peterson show and talked about the Markstrom situation, um, and then uh, talked about the Lundqvist situation. How long is Lundqvist going to play? Is he going to play a uh, longer than Chris Chelios that's uh, yet to be seen and uh, a conversation for another day but um, a couple more things I just wanted to add or ask you guys um, you know about the world juniors and uh, the hitting in in the in the OHL I know it's a a league further east um, a league that you guys might not follow as much Um, you're obviously not in the Ontario hockey region Um, but we'll start with you Quinn just add your take on uh, Whichever whichever person thought it was a good idea to take uh, body checking out of a uh, major junior hockey hockey league. Well, truth be told, I mean it, it's uh, it, looking at the daily Ontario cases as I have the benefit of listening to while I'm working because I've got CBC News Channel on. Um, they're they're pretty high, so like I can understand why they would want to err on the side of caution. And I mean we're seeing it at lower levels too. Like we're seeing a lot of you know, more body checking being called as a penalty. We're seeing, you know, more things that would look innocent in terms of hits, 
being called as, okay, well, that's interference or this and that. And it's, it's more erring on the side of caution. Now, um, you know, I mean, the Q taking away fighting and, and the O taking away hitting. Well, the, sorry um, to interrupt you there. Sure. The Quebec government had something to do with that, that uh, fighting rule, which we can talk about shortly. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no worries. Um, but I mean, I could see them doing that because the last thing you want to do is, is have a, a super spreader type event or a super spreader league, you know, where one player winds up coming down with COVID, you know, goes to hit a guy because that's his job. And all of a sudden you've got this massive spread type situation that takes down the entire league. You just, you can't have that. So that's like, I can understand, correct. yeah, I can understand them doing that and erring on the side of caution. Will they be able to get rid of it entirely? Probably not because you've spent the better part of 15 years training these players on how to hit properly, yeah. how to play the game, you know, like how to play it safely. It, it's almost like if you were to be like, you know, take uh, Michael Strahan and the New York Giants and be like, oh, you're going to play flag football now. No, that's that's not how this is going to work. It, it, it works in it works in the women's leagues, the, uh, the, the National Women's Hockey League, I believe that's the name, and it works very well. No hitting in the the AUS, which is Atlantic University sport uh, here in North same for same for all you sports. But you'll uh, see the you'll see the odd bump. Um, the, the the to be honest, like my opinion is, you're putting a, a lot of uh, I can't think of the word when you're indecisive um, or or yeah. a lot of doubt, a lot of doubt. Putting a lot of pressure on the referees. Um, where was that a bump? Was that a body check? They got a lot of other, excuse me. They got a lot of other uh, scenarios. Was that a check from behind? All oh, the guy turned. Do we call it two minutes? Like, there's enough on their brain to to worry about other than if that was a bump or that was a check. Like, um, you know, Jonathan is the defensive coach for our junior B team, and he played in the Mem Cup. He played Mem Cup. He played Ottawa 67s. He played. Halifax Mooseheads, he, uh, he went out west there for a bit, and he tells the guys, you got to hit. you gotta, you got to create space for our t uh, superstars. And no hitting, uh, how do you create space? Imagine uh, telling Dave Semenko, guys that uh, Marty McSorley, um, you guys can't hit. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky would have not been able to play in the NHL if there was no hitting and, no, and none of that, that stuff to create space. And that's... Yeah. It's not about like going out and kill, killing a guy. Like I might be going off the charts here and a bit of a rant, but the the whole emphasis on hitting is you know wearing guys down. Playoff time, wear a guy down, wear the team down. We've got a whole team. Uh, you know we did lose to a, a high octane uh, team on Monday, but we wore the guys down. We you know we we banged and crashed and. That's our that's our model. Like we bang and crash, and we've got a few superstars. Um, I don't know how every team in the OHL is assembled. They're not all superstars. You can't have you know if you have 400 players in the OHL, where does the guys that just hit and get three minutes a game and just hit? Yeah. Where, where but getting those? back to getting back sorry, to your I'm point, gonna... I, I apologize for cutting you off there, Jamie. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, getting back to your point, like you're going to so doubt into a lot of players minds like you're going to have a situation where a lot of players are going to be very very like they're going to go into the corner because they're programmed to go into the corner they're programmed to make that hit 
and suddenly they're going to be like, oh crap, I have to let up. So you're going to have a lot of scouts that are not seeing the best that a player or what a player is most capable of out there. So you're going to have a lot of players that you're going to wind up, that are going to wind up falling through the cracks because either A, they're not allowed to play their full game or B, they're sown doubt into their own minds to the point where you're not going to be able to bring them back once hitting is failed, once hitting is not. And it will come back 100%. Oh yeah, definitely. Because you can't have the game without hitting. It's just not going to happen. Be like the very first Mighty Ducks movie when Char- the coach Bombay uh, said something to Charlie Conway and broke hitting, and there was the guys were all like just scared and of that that uh, black team, the Ice Hawks or whatever they were called. But the Hawks, yeah, 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 yeah the cake. Yeah, so it's, it's a very it's a very touchy subject. Like I um, would love to talk to a person that was connected with that individual, that that committee that decided to, to have no hitting what's your take on all this Gideon um it's uh you know I heard uh Thomas Harley who plays the Mississauga Steelheads uh NHL draft pick of uh, Dallas said uh it was just a headline in article he said well if I can't hit then I don't want to play I've been raised from you know what five to play the game of hockey, which, you know, maybe hitting isn't prevalent there, but it's prevalent from 10, 12 up. And you have a guy that it hurts your development because one of the main ways for a defenseman to play hockey is to lay the body. You got to type a guy against the wall, get the puck back to your defenseman as a defenseman, as from his point of view, he has a point. And uh, I forget the name of the Ontario health minister, but she was the one that said no. Um, and then I saw a tweet from, or article with Rob Ford who's interviewed and he said that that shouldn't be happening. You know, it's hard to play hockey without hitting. So I think it'll come back into effect. However, I don't think hitting would be the problem of spreading it. I think it's guys in your own team uh, because you're closer with those guys. You share, sometimes you, you hope they don't share water bottles, but they share, you know, the bench. They sometimes may share towels by accident. They may share water bottles by accident. You're traveling with them on a bus. There's so many different scenarios to get the virus, not saying you can't get it from hitting, but you know, face-offs as well. You're head-to-head with the guy, right? So there's other ways to get COVID out of the game, avoiding hitting because it seems to work. It worked in the NHL, obviously with the, different with the bubble, but you know, it hasn't worked in the queue, whoever, if that was a preseason game or what have you, but it you can't have hockey without hitting. Like it's impossible to play. You would have guys, it'd just be passing, right? And there's yeah. no excitation to that. There would be no odd man rushes with guys getting tied up or guys stumbling over bodies and there is in here in BC, uh, Jim, there's a rule called the, what we call the COVID scramble. So it's like eggs. Um, that's what I like to call it. But it's, there's a, a, about a 10, 20 second threshold. If the puck is tied up along the board, it's not even 20, 10 second threshold. The puck is tied up and not moved. The referee blows it dead for a, um, for a face-off. Whereas before, if the puck was tied up for maybe 20 seconds, you would blow it dead. But now due to safety, they can blow the, they blow the whistle dead to have a face-off. So I could see that happening because you have to avoid the close contact for so long. But I mean, for hitting, like you're with the guy for what, two, three seconds sometimes, but you're more likely to get it from some guy beside you in the bench who's coughing or the water bottles or your own team. There's way different, more, way more ways to get it, I guess you could say, than, than hitting. So in my opinion, I think it needs to be reinstated back in the league. Well, we, we have a problem. There's, there's 20 water bottles on the bench. Um, you know, they take them into the room. Um, they're not, you know, you're tr- you almost have to hire a babysitter for a junior B team. It's unfortunate. 
<laughs> but they take him in the room. They take him out to the bench. I'm out in the bench refilling the water bottles. Like, can I have? I, don't, I can't have a hundred water bottles on hand. I'm I'm on the medical staff plus train the training staff, and and in uh, in no way I want to have the title of a babysitter on my res on my resume. Um, so you know the guys are taking each other. Like it's it's happened where like you know. Are, are the guys taking another person's water bottle? Like it's, I, I'm not on the bench. I don't, I don't know what's actually happening on the bench. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but you're right. Like, um, I think it's just maybe get, they're just too sensitive people that, uh, are in the health, uh, health sector and they can make tools and, and, uh, you know, have no care in the world about hockey, but it's and, what people want to do. It's yeah. I, I see I see both sides of the coin, Jamie. I do, and it's not that they don't care. It's just they have a job to do, and they're keeping people safe. And if they're going to make that mandatory for the OHL, why not make it across the CHL? Because you're going to get to the Memorial Cup in May if it happens, wherever it is, without fans. And you're going to have OHL teams that, you know, a dub team, say the Giants, picks up the puck instead of their own zone. They bring it down, you know, the player side of the boards and the OJ, OHL just have to back off they couldn't hit them like you're you're drilled in your mind all season of playing in your own league without hitting and then you go into the Memorial Cup the biggest tournament of the year and you don't know what to do you can't hit you don't know if you can hit the other team maybe there's hitting allowed but you don't you play and play as a team to make those physical plays and you get to play all season no hitting and you go to the Memorial Cup the biggest tournament of the year what am I supposed to do you know you want to type a guy along the boards but you also don't want to hit somebody right so there's two minds to this. There's two sides of the coin and you could go both sides. I think it'll go back in. I hope it does for the sake of the game. But in my mind, if it's one way for one league, it should be spread across the board because you can't have one league going to play in two other leagues and not be hitting all year. So that's part of the game as well. And really, you don't want a situation where you're looking at the 1915 Stanley Cup finals. And I know I wasn't alive then, but here's a history lesson for you. Um, basically, it came down to there were two leagues. There's one on the East Coast that never passed the puck forward. It was always backwards. So like, like basically think about, think about rugby on ice, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you got the West Coast League, the Vancouver Millionaires who were the eventual champions, uh, who Cyclone Taylor, in fact, played for. And okay, so that's that Cyclone Taylor came. I'm back to Cyclone. Um, but uh, <laughs> Full basically, <circle. laughs> basically the Pacific League um, that the Vancouver Millionaires were part of, they could pass the puck forward. Now, of course, when you've got these two teams meeting head-to-head -head with these different playing styles and, you know, have been drilled into them, you're going to wind up with a situation where one team is going to dominate the other. So to Gideon's point, if you do make it uniform across the CHL, that way everybody knows the rules, everybody is on the same page, and when it comes to Memorial Cup, you're not going to run across a situation where you've got people in Ontario screaming at their television like they wouldn't normally but screaming at their televisions to be like, you should hit that guy. And meanwhile, the West Coast League, the WHL champion, is skating around these players like they're pylons because the players don't know what the hell to do. Like, you, you can't have that situation because that just ruins everything. And, like, you'll see it from a TSN standpoint where TSN will eventually lose interest. And that's definitely not what you wanted it. And I, and I, um, Val, I value both of your points. And I didn't mean to say that the, the health ministry doesn't care um they just don't well, care they just don't care about what the players want uh because it comes down to safety first and yes, i exactly. i totally agree like if our numbers start going up a lot higher um in the next couple of weeks and they and they cancel hockey 
I'd be okay with that because it's a safety, uh, yeah. be a safety thing. But you know, it, they don't care about our emotions. They don't care about you know uh, <laughs> it being a lifestyle. They just care about the safety of um, that particular province, and uh, we just we just have to deal with that. And and the numbers have risen here a little bit in yeah. Nova Scotia, but it's all due to travel. Like, and yeah. you guys, you know, not to go off topic, but I know 100% you guys will agree on. Maybe they got to stop letting people travel. <laughs> travel well, I mean, on airplanes a, and, and not yeah. have anybody travel on airplanes. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you can only you can only ground so much, right? Like, you close the border between Canada and the United States. We understand why. Like, the, the U.S. is a proverbial crud show when it comes to COVID cases. Uh, so we get that. But at the same time, like, you can't, you can't shoot down interprovincial travel. It's just... We, we did that for the better part of a month and, you know, things, things were got sort of better, you know, but you still noticed in other provinces because they were inside of that province, like it didn't help Ontario at all, didn't help Quebec at all. I mean, sure, their cases were probably about half of what they are now. Um, it didn't, it helped BC, but once BC started loosening up restrictions, now our cases are at 400 today, just today with new Jeez. cases. See, Gideon is, yeah, exactly right, right? But when it comes to medical, and I'm, I'm going to say this from the standpoint of my best friend happens to be a doctor. My best friend always said that when it comes to working, you know, when it comes to working in the medical field, you always have to take it like Spock used to. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the fewer the one. Meaning that hockey is, it's a, one, it's a wonderful privilege, but... At the same time, when you're trying to save lives, hockey is going to take a backseat. And trust me, this being a hockey show, that's like blasphemy. So I get, I get why people would be like, why would you ever dare say such a thing? But at the same time, like I realize that in the grand scheme of things, we're like 1% and then 99% is life, love, pursuit of happiness and liberty. And that's the most important thing right now is basically getting everybody back to here so that we can get everybody back to here right you think do you think hitting will come back into play before the league even starts um both of you can answer this man truth be told it would require a lot of a lot of work with the province i'm not saying the o isn't willing to do it because the o is going to be willing to do whatever is going to take in order to get them back Mm -hmm. to somewhere close so they're going to have to listen. Will they have to make the changes and adapt? Absolutely. Um, the will they find a way element. to do hybrid hitting? Probably. You know, uh, I think. I think. Truth be told, they'll find a way to do it because when you got the biggest person in Premier Doug Ford on your on your side, basically saying, "Yeah, no, we're not. This is this is dumb." You know, that's a pretty <laughs> heavy voice when it comes to uh, when it comes to relations in uh, provincial legislature. Right. You know, and, and say what you want about the Ford okay. brothers, and plenty of people have. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> as I said, he's got a pretty big voice. You know, and and you know he'll he'll find a way to get stuff done. You know, I'm it, not it, saying he'll override his health minister, but he'll work with them. That's what I was going to ask: is his would his voice be big enough to override uh, the health minister and the OHL commissioner? Right, so. Yeah. I, be- I believe David Branch is still the commissioner of the OHL. Um, I think so. Uh, let me check my handy dandy. Yeah, uh... Ron Ron Robinson is the uh, president of the WHL. David Branch is the 
OHL, and I'm not sure who the Q yeah. is. Jill David Andrews. Jill oh, no, David Andrews AHL. Anyways. Jill Kotor, Kotor, Jill Kotor, Kuto, or. Uh... Okay, and you want to look up the CHL president while you're at it? Uh, let's see. Q, yeah, Jill Corto is the uh, commissioner of the QMJHL. Uh, CHL Dan McKenzie is the uh, yeah, full time president okay. of the uh, CHL. He was hired uh, July 2019. <laughs> well, I just happened to have three monitors, so I figured I might as well get some use. Yeah, out of you them. got you got quite the setup. There. <laughs> I do. It's, it's great. Sick. So My, much yes. fun to since, work since the first evening. <laughs> Since the first evening I met Quinn, I'm my my man my basement is just like a been my <laughs> I've lived down here a hundred percent now. It's just crazy. Like I, <laughs> I had to kind of well I need this here I need that here and it's just like if I'm down here I might as well fix it up and you know like you got his there set up go. his, his gaming and stuff like that. So it's you know it's just kind of been the new lifestyle like just living in the basement and Quinn's got mm -hmm. his set up and then you've got your set up because it couldn't really go anywhere in the last like. Ten months, and like I said, yeah, this is... I went to the rink, and I was just like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, wow, like this is a rink, like <laughs> it's, you know, people have said it in the last couple months. When you're, when you start getting to a new, getting used to a new lifestyle, it just becomes repetitive, and and then you just mm -hmm. get used to it, um, you know. And if for you guys going to the rink and it for the first time, must have been different after nine months. It really was like walking in there and it was dead silent that was surreal to me like because you never have that on the game night and i mean say what you want and gideon and i will you know we don't draw that many fans but the fans that we do draw you know like you've got the concession open you've got people like you know getting 50 50 tickets and you know there's a life in the concourse and literally we walked in there this past week and it was dead silent it was just like it was like a ghost town. No, no, 50, no 50 50 in the lodge, no concession stands. None of that stuff, man. Like, literally, we were like, seriously, in between periods, Gideon and I, we wind up raiding the candy machine just because it's there. <laughs> like, literally, I, I've still got a pack of Coke, Coke, uh, Coke bottles, gummy candy sitting up on my nightstand table from last night because I was just chewing them in between periods. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how BC is, but in Nova, Nova Scotia, you're not allowed to bring outside food or drink into any of the uh, game facilities. Not that's not instated. It might be, but not not right now. So, but yeah. you try to keep it to yourself. You don't obviously share, but. Um, well, we no. did it in the movie theaters when we were kids. We uh, we found ways to go to the dollar. Oh well, that's that's different. That's, that's different. a whole another story, Jamie. You got backpacks <laughs> yeah. and you got bags and all that. Yeah. I've heard. I I've get into I've, what I used to do. Something to do with a garbage can and a refill. That's all I'm gonna say. Look this way: it ain't <laughs> as bad as your buddies getting like two, you know, 500 milliliter sprites and being like, "Hey, Quinn, can you sneak these in for us?" And of course, I've got my giant ass trench coat, so I'm like just loaded down with stuff. Yeah. And how the hell, how the hell, the movie ticket taker didn't look at me and go, "Just turn around and watch." There's, there's a, there's a few okay. stories I um. Oh, um, I'll give you one story. And I'm, I'm sorry if it's off topic. Back in the day, when the Metro Center didn't have the scanners, Metro Center is a big facility. It, it uh, there was a Halifax Citadel, the AHL. Now, now it's a home to the uh, 2013 Halifax Mooseheads, who won the 20, 2013 Mem Cup. Um, 
so back in the day when they didn't have the scanner, um, this was during the Mem Cup uh, just recently. Um, no, sorry, was it the... I can't remember the tournament. I think it was a 2000 Mem Cup. Yeah, 2000 Mem Cup. And they didn't have the, the scanner. And one a friend of mine had four tickets. It was like a, like, like, like cards. And he just kind of opened them up and the guy looked at the cards and he ripped all the cards. And it's just times have changed and how like people bring in things to the games. And there's a dollar store um, in the same concourse that leads up to the Metro Center. And we're in there all the time buying candies and putting them in our pockets. And, you know, times have changed where, you know, you have to buy that. $13 beer now at the concession stands or, or the, the $6 bottle of water. And it's just like, they're, I know it's COVID and things might go up when it's all said and done, but, um, you know, times have changed. Like you used to be able to bring in your own stuff. Now it's like vending machines and popcorn stands, anything that can draw money, they're adding to games to, uh, to bring in revenue, right? So it's um... well. I mean, up here, Jamie, like perfect example. Back when the Giants yeah. were in the Pacific Coliseum, like Coca Cola of just a simple Coca Cola bottle was four bucks, right? And we're talking like something you could probably pay maybe a buck twenty-five, buck fifty at your local corner store, right? And when it came to ice cream, like if you wanted an Oreo ice cream sandwich, that's like six fifty compared to two bucks at your local corner store, right? Um, and it was just the way that it's the way that the toy goes make money, you know, and then they moved to Langley and it was very much the same way. But at the same time, they also had like the existing concessions and stuff and the concessions actually, truth be told, they got better because they weren't having to pay the same amount of rent on the smaller space. And, you know, their attendance went way up to the point where now they're selling out the building on a regular basis. I mean, it's tough to get Giants tickets now compared to when they were playing in the Coliseum where you could get them easily, so. Where's, where's the old GM place? Is it is it the same? Is it Rogers Arena or did the GM yeah. place, they just went from the, because they used to call it the Gradge. Yeah. And then now they're just kind of, they revamped the Rogers Arena and it's the same. Yeah, place. they renovated it for the uh, 2010 Olympics, actually. So they renamed it uh, just after then. Um I think it was 2012 they renamed it from yeah. – oh, no, it was yeah. after the – yeah, yeah, 2012 when uh, Pepsi and uh, Rogers bought over the rights to the uh, to the building. Yeah, yeah, because originally it was General Motors' place for the longest yep. time, and then that's when it was Orca Bay, and then what happened was uh, 2010 rolled around, they renovated it and named it Canada Hockey Place for some godforsaken reason. Um, you know, and then, and then basically it was – it was after the Aquilinis bought it. It was pretty much like right about yeah. a year after the Aquilinis bought it, uh, it became Rogers Arena. So it went from being the garage to the phone booth, basically. That's how we look at it out here. So I lived, I lived in Vancouver a year or two after the Olympics. I was down there around 2009, uh, about a month or so before the Olympics. And then uh, I, did, I did notice the, the houses that they built for the athletes there was something wrong with the houses. Someone was telling me they built them too fast and they weren't um, they weren't livable for people to rent. Um, the, so we there were were some issues with uh, yeah, with the we green, as well as the, the drainage system. And so yeah, yeah there was some that's one of the projects I was working on. So yeah, just kind of neat how that the town has kind of uh, evolved uh, since um, two thousand nine or so and. Yeah, I mean, housing housing prices went 
pretty much through the roof after that, um, you know, in terms of not only rental property, but actual like purchase property. Uh, we pretty much, I mean, now the average I think is what 1.275 million for property down there. So yeah, around there. <laughs> Yeah. Some more that I'm looking or anything, but you know. <laughs> and we won't get in. This is a hockey show. We won't get into the. Uh, yeah, we, I the, thought it was, and here we are uh, talking about house prices, house James. Prices, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we won't get in. We won't get into the Memphis Grizzlies and big no. country. And oh, no, 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 no. We that's an entirely new. We're gonna have a Vancouver country. sports talk show about Messi and big country. Definitely, <laughs> we should. We should have an East. Yeah. Uh, the East something or other. I know there's uh, there's an old show I used to watch uh, on Much Music, or uh, I think it came on at 12 o'clock. It was like the East Coast something. And there was a guy out West and Vancouver, and there was a guy out East, and they just kind of, one guy took Vancouver to Manitoba music, and the other guy did like Ontario to Newfoundland music. And, oh, okay. I think I, I think I, I'm yeah, and it was, just, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, th- I just thought I'd add a little bit of, uh, uh, knowledge to Vancouver. I've lived in. I lived in Vancouver. I actually lived in New Westminster. And um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That said to say, I, I had to leave for a Tom Petty concert. But uh, we we that's a discussion for another day. But it's a uh, it's a great great place to live. And then uh, it's too bad the restaurant you said that was attached to the rink is a steak place. So I was hoping it would be a spaghetti factory, but not the case, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the way they've designed it is actually quite impressive. They've got the steakhouse. Um, I don't know why they haven't put any TVs in the steakhouse. Hopefully they'll do that eventually. Um, but they've got the steakhouse on one side, and they've got, like, this sort of patio and, and flings and stuff. It looks really cool. And then on the inside of that, like, literally just across the hallway, uh, they've got a pub which is, like, attached to the curling rink. So you can, like, watch sports in there and have stuff to eat. It's really, really cool. They've really done a good job on that. Um, there's probably no TVs because people would be asking for the remote and stuff like that. So then, you know, then you get Bob touching the remote and then he passes on to his friend. And yeah, true, you, true, you get true. Too many people touching the remote. So uh, still, it'd be, not, it'd be nice to have our Trappers games in the steakhouse. That would be kind of cool. Did they have, a, did they have a, a warm room? Like, is there a place to stand where it's warm? Like, was it just no? Is it all, is it all open? And they don't have a. Yeah, it's all all open. Uh, we don't have any kind of warm room, as far as I know. We haven't really needed it, to be honest. Um, they, just, they just built a brand new rink in West Hanch, just out towards Windsor, and uh, apparently Windsor is like the birthplace of hockey. But there's uh, some debate to that whether it is actually the birthplace of hockey in Windsor, Nova Scotia. So uh, they they have the long pond championships, I believe. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, every year, like Martin McSorley will come down and. Uh, he he's such a he's such a great man to talk to, he, and you never think that he would he uh, high stick the brochure in the side of the head with a stick. You guys, yeah. being, you guys being from Vancouver, uh, when Boston came into town, uh, Marty McSorley was playing for Boston, and uh, yep. Brashear yep. at the time was playing for Vancouver and got a stick in the side of the head. So yeah, they uh, yeah. they they reenacted that for uh, the opening scene of Goon uh, when uh, what's his name um, uh, Lee. Lee Schreiber, Lee the, Schreiber, yeah, uh, yeah. When he goes and tags the guy in the yeah. side, and I'm just like, I've seen this before. Yeah, as long as I didn't reenact Bertuzzi and more, then that's oh, story. no kidding, right? Just, yeah. so, uh, I want to ask two more questions now. Katie, right. 
Gideon just refreshed my memory about the Todd Bertuzzi more. Into oh it. no! But, I'm so oh, sorry. Here we go. <laughs> okay, but I just I just talked about a gruesome incident with Bashir McSorley. We'll we'll save the uh, the more Bertuzzi incident for another day. It is it is connected to Vancouver and Colorado, I believe. Yes. Um, yep. two questions. One, um, how was the town in 2011 when Boston? Vancouver. Quinn, you go. I've heard a lot of stories. I want to okay. get your view on how was the town, like, was there people, was it, I don't expect it was as bad as the Richard riot. A little, oh, no, little, no, no, no. little too early for Gideon and maybe your time, but I know I'll like give... the Richard okay. riots were pretty bad. I don't expect, uh, is there a street along the rink called Hastings? Yes. No. Okay. No. Hastings. Sorry, Hastings. Hastings no. is Hastings is, is uh, yeah. Pacific Coliseum. Yeah, Hastings okay, yeah. is Pacific Coliseum. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, but basically, what it was was um, me being down there. Um, 2011, literally the day of Game Seven, and it was insane. Like that day was intense. Uh, I was working at a place downtown at the time, so literally I got off the train at about seven o'clock. And the first thing you could hear is people like popping beer cans, and you oh, knew that day at seven <laughs> at seven in the morning. Yeah, like, you knew stuff was going to go badly. Like it yeah. was going to be bad, and it just continued that way. And it was like you know, get finished with your shift. You know, you're you're heading back towards the SkyTrain, and I was like right on Water Street, so literally like the last stop on the Sky on the Expo Line SkyTrain. And uh, literally, like, you had cars coming in. There were honking horns. People are, like, walking by with flags. And drums are going off and all this stuff. And the first words, that first thought in my mind is, I've got to get the hell out of this town. Like, really. Like, it wasn't even about the game. Like, the game was secondary. It was just, yeah. like, personal survival. So, literally, I got back on the train. And I'm heading back to King George Station, which is out in Surrey. I get off at King George Station, and as I'm walking down the stairs, the police are at the top of the stairs, and they're basically letting people up about 50 to 60 at a time so that they can get them on the trains and get them into downtown because everybody wanted to be in downtown just in case they happened to win, right? Everybody wants to be at the, the, the scene of the party. Right? 800, 800 Griffin's Way, isn't that the, that the main? Yes, you That's got it. That's the main drag, the, exactly. Head, yeah, exactly. So, of course, you know, I'm heading back to Langley because I was at a number of remote events. There were a number of remote events. Uh, I just happened to be one at the Langley uh, Event Center. I'm listening to the game on my phone, and I've got my head my head buds in or whatever. My You're like Steve Bartman. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, oh, exactly. no. You're playing yeah. the Steve Bartman role. Yeah, yeah, except I didn't have pizza or anything thrown at me, and I'm you not needed by yeah, Chicago to this day. Yeah, you didn't have a baseball yeah. find at but, the way that series had worked is whichever team scored first won the game. So literally, I'm coming off of the train. I've got my earbuds in, and I wanted to listen. I wanted to listen to the game just to get the score. And I heard that Peverly scored, and my heart sank. And I knew that it was like game over. It was we were done. And of course, my buddy's a Bruins fan, so he's laughing it up. He's having a great time. I'm not. <laughs> like, I was horrified. Quinn, I want to add to add to your story. So I was in grade seven to put you guys in a older state than I am. Okay, so all throughout the playoffs in my grade seven class, I was the 
the, the hockey nerd, right? So I, I knew everything about all the teams and my, my teacher at the time, my assistant teacher had a, a bet going with the play, not, not with money, but it was, with, I think chocolate or something like that, a, a dollar or a toonie. If you predicted the team, right, you get a toonie. So I predicted incorrectly the first lot, three, which was maybe a lot in 2011, a toonie. Yeah. Toonie. I think it was anyways, wow. whatever it was. So I predicted wrong. Kid, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I predicted wrong. The first three rounds, I said reverse psychology. I'm like, Oh, I wanted the, the Canucks swim, but I, I picked the sharks, but I really wanted the Canucks win. So I got the money and sure enough for the final round, I picked the Canucks and they lose. So don't blame me, but there's a funny story from grade seven where uh, I, I, to put you guys, make you guys feel old. I don't know how old you are, Jamie, but Quinn's uh, a little bit older than I am. So uh, to put you guys in, in perspective and for all you who are watching this after, but uh, that was go and and going home that night, I, I think it was in my, in my front living room watching uh, the end of the game and, you know, just sitting there in disbelief and then watching the riots as a what 11, 12 year old. That's a lot to see. Like not as a, you look at it now with, you know, my age, I'm, I'm almost 22 looking at the riots in the States and you see that when you're a kid, you know, something doesn't, you know, something isn't right. And you look at now the States with uh, the protests going on, the rallies and whatnot, and the riots for the president or whatever it is. Um, you you don't know how much that means to people, passion, that much passion involved until you see it when you're, you know, older and you know what's going on. Obviously, you know, your team lost, but, you know, why are people rioting? Why are they mad? And now you see it in real life, how much passion is involved. That's how much passion the Canucks fans had you know, you don't want them breaking stuff and causing that big of a ruckus, but you know how much passion Canucks fans had throwing that big of a riot and they cared so much about the team. Yes, they were angry. Yes, they might have been drunk, but they have so much passion. So do the Americans about, um, you know, social, being justice. Free, social justice. I didn't know the right word. I didn't want to phrase it wrong. Right. But you know what I mean? Like it, there's that much passion involved. Yeah, maybe I wasn't, you know, aware enough to understand the grasp of the passion. I wasn't downtown. I didn't go to any games, but I felt it at home. I felt it watching the TV that night. And I f- still feel it now watching the protests on TV in the States, but you know, there's, you know what I mean? There's still that much passion involved in sports and politics. And you really see how much th- that, that that run meant to the Canucks fans. We haven't really had anything since. So hopefully knock on wood, the, the guys can get it done the next couple of years here. And, there wasn't- and, I, and ironically, and my apologies for cutting you off there, Jamie, ironically, Gide- what Gideon just sentimized was exactly how I felt in 94 when the Canucks went on. Oh, oh, you right? had to go there. Oh. No, seriously. Like, oh, I, yeah. literally, I was 14 yeah. years old, grade nine, Langley Secondary School, you know, go Saints. LSS. Yep. Uh, LSS, exactly. <laughs> um, but literally, I was sitting there at 90, 1994, right? After the Canucks had beaten, I can't remember who they beat to get to the to get to the last round. Toronto? I, was it Toronto? Yes, the Leafs, right. It was yes, Greg Adams R-A. who scored that goal. Oh, yeah. Greg Adams, sorry. Yeah, Greg Adams, Adams yeah. yeah. Anyway, so literally, I walk into my social studies class, and on the blackboard is written 1940, because everybody was like, the curse of the Rangers is going to keep yep. happening. Like, 54 years, there's no way in hell. This is our chance. And it was like, literally, it was a Cinderella team. Like, you looked at that team, and with the exception of Pavel Bure and Trevor Linden. They were, yeah, Kirk, yeah. We really didn't have a lot. And McLean, so yeah. And McLean, yeah. we had the big yeah. three, and that was pretty much it. But it was the rest of them were role players, yeah. right? Like, truth a lot of be depth told, guys, yeah, yeah. Truth be told, like Nathan Lafayette should get five cents every time somebody pops a water bottle because he did it first. You <laughs> uh, like, be a very rich man. Um, but uh, literally, like back in in '94, losing Game Seven, and it wasn't like 
2011 where we just got blown out in our own building and everybody felt like crap because we got yeah. blown out in our own building. It was a 3-2 loss in Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, and we hit two posts that would have that would have clinched the cup for us. Mm-hmm. And then we have to watch Messier with his crap-eaten grin holding the cup. And, of course, since everything was based out of New York, like all of the late night shows, especially Letterman, we had to watch the Rangers go out on Letterman with the cup and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, there's the ticker tape parade and all that good stuff. You know. And meanwhile, in Vancouver, our riot at 94 was new, like one-tenth the yeah. size of the riot back in 2011. And like you could see the people like um, a guy I went to school with kicked in the Starbucks sign at Robson and Thurlow and got caught, obviously, because he's an idiot. Um, and then they had guys who were like <laughs> bailing cars in the sides and blocking yeah. on trolley wires. But it was like you knew it was like a crap show. Like, it, it, but it was nowhere close to 2011. Like 2011 was about 100 times the size of the riot in 94. I'm just glad they didn't... Uh harm the uh, science center which is very close to uh... yes well about a 10 15 minute walk it yeah. is nice but they didn't go in there was more downtown jamie that That's you're good. thinking yeah. more of by the arena the, the rides are more downtown if i'm not mistaken by robson yeah. um and more heart of downtown away from the rink so it was yeah. more like, tucked in the middle BC, yeah. Yeah. BC place closer to um, yes, it's right across the street. Yeah, right yeah, across so, the yeah. street. Yeah, but yeah. It, they kept, like I said, they there wasn't much by the arena. It was more downtown where guys or guys and girls, whoever, which, were getting which is, which drunk at the bars and, and falling out in the streets. Yeah. Which is good because yeah. I, I visited the, the Science Center uh, shortly after. The- Science, Science World, Jamie. Sure, it's sorry, it's Science a legendary World. statue here or, or building World. here in Vancouver. Telus and, World of Science. And, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like Rogers Arena. One funny story about the Science World. Sorry, I, I, it is a Science World. I just looked at it. I, I we used to be in. a hockey show. I've got off the trails like the Worcester Whalers here. <laughs> I, I walked in, and I'm pretty sure, if my memory serves me correctly, is there a Carl's Jr. in that place? No. Um, no, there is a I fat would, burger. I would be the there first to know burger. about it. Oh, well, there's there a fat burger. A fat burger. So <laughs> that, oh, okay, okay. The two have a very interesting I saw that, and I was like, wow, this is like Ikea. Ikea. <laughs> we don't have here in, in Dartmouth Crossing, which is like a massive like super center area. Um, the only thing they don't serve in uh, Dartmouth Crossing is the cost of gas or Walmart gas. But they have an IKEA, and I went into IKEA one time, and it was just like they have a, uh, they have a, they have a cafeteria, and um, that's one thing I wanted to point out with the the science world was uh, was the uh, cafeteria, and I and I she's like you got you, do you want to go see the CN Rail 3D uh, uh, show or do you want to hang out and eat ha- uh, hamburgers all day? And I was like no no no, um, they did have the CN Rail. Um, 3D uh, movie experiences, which is, which is something else we won't get into, but that's just remarkable in itself. How the train got around all the mountains and the um, individuals that had to risk their lives to kind of make the tunnels happen and all that cool stuff. So it's, there's a lot of history away from hockey in Vancouver, and like I said to Donovan, or excuse me, Quinn, over the last couple of months, it just Vancouver in itself is just a remarkable place, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's a a lot of places that don't, excuse me, a lot of places that people don't hear about. So it's, it's okay to add some 
uh, insight about Vancouver and the, the riot in 2011 and the 94 riot and uh, all that good stuff. But it's a, it's a unique place, and they did host the 2010 Olympics, which is great. And hopefully uh, it, it goes back to the West Coast uh, sometime soon. But um, one more thing. Um, do you guys believe a an all-Canadian – back to hockey – um, if you're okay with that. Full circle, full circle. We'll start with whoever wants to start off, but what's the chances in your guys' mind that an all-Canadian uh, division does happen when the NHL starts in January or February or or, or does the season even start at all? And uh, when, you, when, you, when it does start, do you see it being a 48-game a schedule? Um, I don't see it being a 48-game schedule, mainly because the owners like making money and they'd like to make more money. Um, so it's going to be a higher amount than that. I could see, I could see possibly maybe a 70, yeah, about 60, maybe 70 games at the most. Um, but uh, in terms of the Canadian division, it all depends on the border. If the border is closed, then yeah, a Canadian division is totally feasible to be honest. It's totally something I could picture seeing uh, Gary do. And uh, obviously, I mean, you saw this, you saw the success of the hub cities, uh, Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, you saw that success. So we know for a fact that it can work, you know, in multiple cities, um, you know, but uh, as I said, I don't see intermingling. I really don't, not at the current time anyway. I agree hundred percent. Nothing more to add. Just that there's, yeah, the border's closed. There's no way they can have – you'll have to have teams quarantine. And, I mean, yeah, you want to play different opposition, but, I mean, every Canadian team's in the same boat. They've made some good additions in the offseason. Every team, uh, they want to compete, and I think it'll be interesting to have those guys uh, play against each other. What's that? Um, oh, sorry. I mean, yeah, no worries. I mean, you can't have a situation where somebody's bought hockey tickets for the Canucks versus Shark, and it's like, oh, the game's canceled for two weeks. You just – you can't have that. Yeah. And, and that's the current – thing that we live in under doc henry right now is that we have a two-week mandatory quarantine and until that gets sorted out until the borders open until we get some kind of you know relaxed status with that or you know whether it's going to whether we're going to have an exemption which dr henry said that's not going to happen and that's kind of what cost vancouver the ability to be a hub city um until we get that as i said at the moment we're looking at yeah canadian division and american division and uh, as I said, I, I don't see it being a problem, but I mean, the biggest thing is just, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, well, now when we want to start the playoffs, okay, well, now we've got to move them where, you know, how are we going to hub city from there? Okay, so um, you guys agree with the all-Canadian division. Um, we'll start off with you, Quinn. I, I know I did it, and you did mention one, you did mention the word doc, so I, will, I do have to say one thing before we leave, because you mentioned the word doc. Um, who comes out of that Canadian division? Do they do, do they um, have a Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg division? And then do um, the other side have the Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, and... That's it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's it. Yeah. What, seven I mean, teams in Canada? Yeah, seven teams in total. So they I mean, have, have four on one side, or four on three one on side, other, yeah. three on, and do they... Kind of play in one division and then and then do like a inter, like a what's the word when they uh, cross cross over? country yeah so they like, like say, crossover 
Yeah. Like, say on a Saturday night, Toronto will play Montreal, and then say like on a Tuesday, Toronto will play Vancouver. But keep that um, Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. That's yeah, like Saturday. you're, you're, and then you're because, talking like uh, Major League Baseball interleague play. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I could mm-hmm. see that. Um, I could see, for instance, like the you know like Monday to Friday would be you know like uh, you know or Monday to, or yeah like uh, Sunday to Friday would be your standard in you know your in division work right. So let's say yeah. you have a Western division which is Calgary, Winnipeg. Vancouver and Edmonton, yeah. right? So Monday or Sunday to, to Friday, you've got your, you know, working in between. And then Saturday, you've got your marquee matchup. You've got your Montreal versus Vancouver, or you've got your Toronto versus Edmonton. You know, you've Good got TV as well. Exactly. Yeah. Something that's going to draw fans in. Yeah. So on Saturday, you want to keep the Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal. No offense, but who wants to see a Toronto, Vancouver Till uh, Saturday, maybe you might have that odd bigger markets game. though. Yeah, Jamie, exactly. bigger markets. Very yeah. true. Maybe you see the the Toronto Van- Toronto Calgary um, play at the beginning of the season, and then get that over with, and then keep the rivalries at the end, and then then yeah. Toronto is used to playing Ottawa close to the playoffs or Montreal. Um, well, that's the very, thing, very right? Like you point. can't very good you point. can't you can't inundate hockey night in Canada with the same matchup over and over again. And that's that's yeah. really what we're coming down to. Like, you can't have Toronto-Montreal every Saturday night, right? Because Toronto-Montreal are the players every Sunday to Friday. Who would not want to see a Calgary-Edmonton Saturday night every single oh, Saturday? totally. Like, I'm, and I, and I'm, not, I'm not discounting that in any way, shape, form. But again, getting back to Gideon's point, you've got to look at what's going to draw the most market and what's going to draw the most money. Like, you look at Toronto and Vancouver. Toronto and Vancouver are huge markets. They are huge markets with two teams that both sides hate equally. Yep. Okay, like if you ask the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you ask a Leafs fan, what do you think of Quinn Hughes? They're going to tell you to go piss in your hat, right? Like, and if you ask Vancouver, hey, what do you think of Boston Matthews? They're not going to answer your question. Like that's that's what we built up is the you know Vancouver's got a hate for Toronto. Toronto hates Vancouver. So you've got to you've got to appeal to both sides of your market. And you've got to do what's going to make you the most money and what's going to give you the most exposure. So like a Montreal versus Calgary or a Montreal versus Edmonton or an Ottawa versus Calgary or an Ottawa versus Winnipeg. Something that's going to draw fans in. And that's the biggest thing because Hockey Night in Canada is still your marquee night. It is still the most important night in hockey. It is the night where you sell your product to billions of people. You know, and, and for you can't you can't weaken your matchups. You can't weaken your marquee night. You really can't. But at the same time, you've also got to be able to balance that with, okay, can I weaken this for the rest of my week while I'm doing local broadcasts, like Sportsnet East or Sportsnet Ontario or Sportsnet West or Sportsnet Pacific, which we get out here. Um, so that's that's where you've got to find your happy medium. And, and it's going to take some time, but the NHL will get it right because they always do. You, do you see... Um... As, as we keep talking, I, I kind of think about some good points. Uh, do you see um, in the West Coast of the states, like Dallas maybe or Chicago or uh, maybe a Buffalo, do you see um, being four bubbles maybe? The East playing in Toronto bubble, the West yep. playing in the Edmonton bubble, um, and then there's two other bubbles in the states. And yep. then um, when the playoffs do begin um, – how does the border work out? Do you think the border will be figured out by then? 
um, or do the guys, all teams travel, and then they go back to that Toronto-Edmonton bubble that we just experienced uh, in the last uh, couple yeah. months? Hockey uh, started in August again, and then it went to October, yeah. That's what they've been talking about. Yeah, like they they talk about that same thing with the bubbles, and I think it's going to go from four to two. And I the border was close to the bubbles in in the summertime. So I mean, if they didn't have a problem with quarantining there for Toronto and Edmonton, which probably keeps that Vancouver out of the running again, which I'm okay with because Edmonton and Toronto worked well. They're going to go from four bubbles, two in Canada, two in the states, probably in LA or California or wherever, and then or Vegas, and then uh, the East, maybe New York or something like that. Uh, somewhere may make sense and then go back to two either in the states or canada again we'll see what the nhl wants but if it worked well in toronto and edmonton why not do it again yeah exactly right and i mean when it comes to like when it comes to hub cities like the nhl has wanted vegas to be a part of that since vegas came into the league that and, and COVID as well because vegas is one of these places that the nhl loves and they love it because of the glitz and glamour you know, so you'll have your Edmonton and Toronto up here. You'll have your hub cities down there, which will probably be Las Vegas and New York, your two biggest markets, depending on where you are, and uh, the biggest chance to make as much money as humanly possible. And then when it comes to the playoffs, yeah, they'll basically move it up north to keep it to Toronto and Edmonton. Because what came out of those two hub cities in Toronto and Edmonton were very, very well designed. Uh, very, very well planned, very, very well thought out, and very, very easy to set up. You know, I, everything, you know, was literally within a stone's throw of Scotiabank Arena or Rogers Center, or not Rogers Center, uh, Rogers Place, um, in just in the way that the infrastructure was built. So, yes, I could definitely see that happening. Um, matter of fact, in all fairness, the NHL, now that they've got a plan that works with hot cities, um, I could see that going two and two and then yeah bringing it back to Canada for the remainder of course that's why I got both of you gentlemen on board to uh, make sense out of the questions and it's been a pleasure talking to you both um how much of an influence has Doc Emmerich made on both of you guys he's he announced his retirement there uh, a couple weeks ago so or maybe in the last month um any cool Doc Emmerich stories uh, before we go and is, has he influenced uh, any of you guys um in your roles with your teams? Uh, definitely he's influenced Gideon. I'll let them speak to that because uh, from a PA announcing standpoint, uh, you don't really have Doc influencing us too much because, you know, us yelling stars through a mic is probably not a good idea, but uh, Gideon could definitely speak to the influence that Doc has had, and I'll, I'll let him do that. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say uh... – Influence. I would say more model. I tend to. I don't like to model my game, but I think Doc like Emmerich is the one. Like, like a lot of people from out, out this way. Uh, yeah, like I. I don't. Cool. I don't like to copy people, but I do like to to use different ways to describe things, and I think it helps paint a picture. As Quinn said, for we're just the storytellers, right? So I don't have one lasting memory, um, but I just you know his legacy. If you watch the video NBC did of him and saying goodbye in his own words, like it, I got teary eyed, and I'm not one to get that emotional over that kind of stuff, but. Um, he's so eloquent. Um, he, he has a unique voice. It's not like smooth, like Chris Cuthbert um, or Jim Houston. It's very raspy, but you love those because you love hearing those voices. It's unique. It's personal to him. Uh, he's been doing it so, for so long and he's been doing it so well. And um, so, yeah, you'll be missed. And you definitely, I wouldn't say influence, but he definitely, um, you know, model, I tend to model my game after him and, and, you know, trying to bring whatever he did from his broadcast in mind with the way he 
phrase things or the way he described things and not copy it, but, you know, just, just take for one, take notes pretty much from what he did. And he will be missed for sure in the hockey world. So can you say the same thing for Bob Cole? Like you have, absolutely. Bob Cole is a national treasure. I mean, he's been, he's been doing hockey night in Canada for pretty much my entire life. Like he's a Canadian version of Doc Emmerich. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without discussion. I mean, like I literally, when I was a six to 10 year old kid, I literally like the way I took, the way I knew it was summer was Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers hoisting the cup as Bob Cole walked them around the ice. That was how that was that he's a national treasure. And you know, and seeing him finally retire after everything he's done and everything he's done for the game in Canada uh, was well worth it. And Doc Emmerich has no doubt done that down south. Uh, Al Michaels was doing that back when he was calling St. Louis Blues games. Um, of course, now he's Sunday Night Football, obviously. Uh, John Madden did that uh, with football, you know, as a whole with uh, Pat Summerall. Um, but I mean, yeah, from a play-by-play standpoint, those are the guys who really influence you. I mean, from a PA standpoint, the guys who influenced me were the guys I heard the most often. You know, the Al Murdochs, who I had the pleasure of job chatting with years ago. Uh, the John Ashbridge's God Rest His Soul. Like, those were the guys who, you know, like, when I went to the rink my, my very first time at the Pacific Coliseum and I heard John Ashbridge announce a goal, I thought I was hearing the voice of God. That was the coolest thing that I had ever heard. It was like, that dude has the best job on the planet, and that's what I wanted to be. That's what, because that's what you grew up with, right? That's like your, that was your, that's your dinner bell. Your dinner yeah. Bell. <laughs> no, no man, uh, you guys have been great. Sorry to sorry to interrupt you there, Quinn. Continue. Yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the guys that you grew up with, right? Like when you were a little kid hanging around the ring, like everybody wanted to be the dude up in the booth who was like listening to the game or watching the game. You know, the the John Shorthouse or Jim Houston or Jim Robson. You know, like those were the guys we grew up with, and those were the guys that that um, shaped how we do things today, you know, because they were such trailblazers at the time, you know, and of course they were learning from Foster Hewitt. Like those guys were directly, like if you were to create a family tree of like great broadcasters from the very beginning, it was Foster Hewitt and maybe you'd have the, the, the guy who handled the, the French broadcasts and then it just trickled down from there because everybody learned from everybody. And that's the beautiful thing about our business. How, how, how would you guys, uh, I'm wondering how the call would be if both of you were broadcasting the Vancouver Canucks when Tiger Williams score and he put his leg stick through his legs, how would you guys call that? I'm just curious of like how much enthusiasm would come out of both of you guys when a lot you, when you would just see Tiger Williams go down the middle of the ice yeah. and just stick between his legs. I'd have to turn hey, down hey, my hey, mic hey, levels. Wow. Hey Gideon, wow. do your thing, baby, and I'll I'll do the goal. I'll do the goal. Uh, let's, let's, let's let's hear it. Just. Go ahead. Do it. Tiger, well, I don't know who it gets the pass from, so I don't know. Greg, uh, I don't know. One sec. I'll, I'll pull it up. Okay, okay. Here we Greg, go. This Greg, is good. good. Greg Halen makes a big save, and the puck goes up the ice. Quinn, are you pulling up the assists? One sec. Damn right you are. Damn right you are. <laughs> was Greg Halen in Nets? Was I right on that one? Well, right. we'll, we'll, we'll wait for the official uh, the, the stats slash PA slash uh, music I'm, man, Quinn Donovan, here. He's the I'm, expert. If I'm right, I, I sure know my stuff because I'm not a Canucks fan. But That's I'm pretty, pretty sure good. 
I'm pretty yeah. sure Greg Hanlon played Nets. I don't think it was Greg Millen. I think I don't know if he played. Greg Hanlon, yeah, he was the GM for the Giants. I know he played for the Canucks at some point, but I'm just not sure. We'll wait here. Really that was old. back in the he... '80s, I think. Oh, Williams okay. was the '80s. Yeah, because that's when they had uh, the V jerseys. Yeah, I think Hanlon wore uh, the V. Oh, don't, 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 no. no. Again, we'll get, this is another Vancouver sports discussion. Me and Quinn always get into this on Wednesdays, but I want to hear and see who got the, I'll, uh, we'll do a recreation here to, to end it off here. Then Hanlon wore the old Ernest Irvay helmet, I believe. I think so. He had the, I don't know if he wore the glasses that he has now below the mask, but he's got distinguishable uh, glasses he wears um, as well. Former I'll, GM of the Giants as well. Can I ask one question there while uh, Mr. Yes, Donovan, shoot. Um, it's not it's it's not hockey related, but can you just do you, do you get an understanding of maybe when the, both of you think the CFL is going to return or, and the, what oh boy. The, what's the, and what the state of the CFL is right now? Under... Not good. State of the CFL is not good. Uh, the financially, they haven't announced how financially unstable they are, but they did have to ask for a grant for the government that got denied. So that kind of tells you the story. But I, it's not looking good. I hope they can get fans because it is a lot of fun to go to at bc place but uh i mean who knows it it's it's with everything right it's unknown so we'll have to get to that does the the lions have the same owners as the vancouver canucks is the same no different owners david braley actually owner the giants or the lions sorry passed away last week so may he rest in peace but um different owners in the canucks the canucks are not interested in buying the Lions. but right now you don't want to have anybody buying you know any teams because you don't know the future is like so quinn did you find be able to pull it up i'm still in the process pulling it up I think I heard correctly. David Braley left enough money um, yes. to, to make sure the team is is uh, yeah, which was good. moving forward. Which okay. yeah, it was, uh, very unselfish from him, and um, I know the Lions will appreciate that and make them go through these tough times. But who's to say? Like, I mean, I'm disappointed they didn't have a season, but it wouldn't have been feasible. It's like the WHL; you need bums and seeds to make it happen. So we'll we'll see how that ends up. Do you, do you Quint, still- Quint, Go ahead. Sorry, do, you, do you still trust in Ambrosio though? Could you still think he's the uh, Ambrosio? Uh, yeah, he's a Ambrosi? good. He's a good commissioner. Yeah, he's really? a very good commissioner. Yeah, Quinn, do you, should we just make it up? Uh, one sec. It, it, it should, Leaf it, Gardens. It should be on hockey reference. And it was uh, it was eight to sixteen to twenty three. It was nineteen eighty. A uh, game against uh, it was Vancouver versus Toronto. I'm just grabbing here because it was eight from, or eight to sixteen to twenty three. Uh, so those are big high scoring games back in the 80s, 8 6 and uh, 9 6 in the Gretzky days. It was like 11 5 and all them big scores. It's, you see a 2 1 hockey game now and it's like boring. <laughs> Sometimes. Depends if it's a playoff game or what not. You, what you guys take on the game six in the Stanley Cup final? I thought that was the most boringest game ever. Game six, Tampa Bay and. Uh, Tampa Bay game. They, they beat Tampa Dallas. Bay and Dallas. Yeah, that was the end of a long term. Yeah. Understandable that it was, you, you know, the, the end of. You can see the wear and tear. Yeah, you want, they want to see their families. So it's not going to be the best. I mean, not a lot of game. Game sevens are good, but if a team's leading the series, Tampa Bay really grueled that Dallas team out who are a grueling team themselves. I think it was expected to have that that kind of a game. I, I wouldn't say boring. I would say more tight checking game. It wasn't a high scoring game, but I think. Dallas was pretty much t- tired. They're older, the two teams in that one. So, but that was a yeah, good for the Tampa Bay one here. Quinn, are you good now? And I, it's it's somewhere around here. And I'm okay. Just Should we? You know what? Let's just call it. Let's just let's go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Do it, man. <clears throat>
Uh, Greg Hanlon inside behind his own net, picks it to the right wing side. Adams now to center. Williams over the line, down the right wing side, cuts to the middle. Wrist shot, scores! Tiger oh. puts the stick through his leg, skates to center. Oh my goodness, I've never seen it like a witch on Halloween. Tiger Williams to center, and the Canucks lead by four. It's eight to two, or eight to five, whatever it would be. Eight to two. Let's say that. Very, very good, good sir. Vancouver goal scored by number 23, Tiger Williams. This is to number 16. We'll just say it Trevor Linden. <laughs> and the number eight, Glenn Hanlon. Time of the goal, 523. Williams from Linden and Hanlon at 523. There you go. That's it, Jamie. That's. How, what better way to cap game. off a Zoom call by Quinn Donovan and getting no with that's every Wednesday night at the Lodge yes. of George Preston Recreation. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I look up the kilometers from Vancouver to Halifax. I don't think it's pretty, pretty or long enough distance not to, not to have the uh, windows shake in the house. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I will. I will ask both of you to kind of just uh, introduce yourself one more time, just so the viewers know uh, who I who I got to speak with this evening. Um, and uh, where can we find both of you on Twitter? Uh, and um, how can we find each of your teams on, uh, online? Go ahead, Quinn. You first. Okay. Um, my name is Quinn Donovan. I'm the PA announcer for the Langley Trappers of the Pacific Junior Hockey League and the backup PA announcer for the Langley Rivermen of the British Columbia Hockey League. I can be found on Twitter at QD's World, Q-D-S-W-O-R-L-D. Uh, you can find our team at Langley Trappers on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook. It's just Langley Trappers Hockey Club, I think um and uh quite a number of other places as well and of course you can always find us every wednesday night on hockey tv yeah uh my name is Gideon hill i'm the play-by-play -play broadcaster for the langley trappers of the pjhl uh as well as ubc thunderbirds men's and women's soccer team and women's hockey team i can be found on twitter at underscore gideon hill g-i-d-e-o-n-h-i-l-l uh, on instagram as well gideon hill uh as well as the trappers social media pages is wonderful Quinn just alluded to so I want to thank you Jamie for having us on here it was great to chat and we'll hope to do it again absolutely yes, thank you very much guys and uh, it was a huge as I said that earlier it was a huge UBC uh, number Thunderbirds upset over the Alberta Golden Bears it was yeah it was quite, last quite, off season yeah quite the treat to have the UBC team at the Metro Center which I got to uh, work with uh, quite yeah. closely with so thank you very much gentlemen we'll um, thanks Jamie we'll, we will try that to have fun. a yeah, and we'll try to have an episode uh, maybe oh, before World sure. Juniors. So thank uh, you. Yeah, let's try and do it. There's, there's many Vancouver sports topics to discuss. Yes, that we, we have so no they, doubt at so some point. So there you have it, folks. Gideon Hill and Mr. Quinn Donovan. Uh, that's all from me with Offside Hockey. This has been uh, Jamie Anstey. And stay tuned for much more Offside Hockey Talk to come.